All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and I'm here standing in the confessional corner this week looking at the Seventh Commandment. As we get into this, there are many ways, as we'll see Luther even speaking about in 1529, as to different ways we can steal and not just the ideas of shoplifting or uh, insider trading and things like that that seem to be like big things in the world of stealing. But there's actually little things where we steal and cheat all the time. So let's look at the small catechism first. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So far, the small catechism. Let's look at the large, and for this, we are continuing to look at Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord. We are starting out on page 384. You shall not steal. After the commandment about you personally and your spouse, next comes the commandment about temporal property. God also wants property protected. He has commanded that no one shall take away from or diminish his neighbor's possessions. For to steal is nothing else than to get possession of another's property wrongfully. Briefly, this includes all kinds of advantage and all sorts of trade to the disadvantage of our neighbor. Now, this is indeed quite a widespread and common vice, but it is so little considered and noticed that it surpasses all measure. So if all thieves who did not want to be known as thieves were to be hanged on the gallows, the world would soon be devastated. There would be a lack both of executioners and gallows. For as we have just said, to steal means not only emptying our neighbor's money box and pockets, it also means grasping property in the market, in all stores, booths, wine and beer cellars, workshops, and in short, wherever there is trading or taking and giving of money for merchandise or labor. So we have it right off the bat here that there is so many different kinds of ways of stealing, so many different ways of defrauding your neighbor, that then it is a widespread and common vice. So much so that if every thief were executed and hanged, we would soon run out of executioners and gallows because every single one of us is a thief. But as Luther says, this is such an unlooked at, that's not even a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. This is one that is not really considered in its entirety and in its full scope of anything of taking away from your neighbor. And it doesn't have to be just in the marketplace. It can be right in the home as well, as we will see. So we pick up in the large catechism in paragraph 225. Let me explain this somewhat plainly for the common people, that it may be seen how godly we are. For example, consider a manservant or maidservant who does not serve faithfully in the house, does damage, or allows damage to be done when it could be prevented. He ruins and neglects the goods entrusted to him by laziness, idleness, or hate, to the spite and sorrow of his master and mistress. In whatever way this can be done proper, purposely, I'm not talking about what happens by mistake or against one's will, you can in a year steal 30 or 40 florins. 
If another servant had taken that much money secretly or carried it away, he would be hanged with the rope. But here you, while conscious of such a great theft, may even express defiance and become rude, and no one dare call you a thief. So here we talk off with the in the house as the things that can be done that you just neglect, either by laziness or idleness or just the spite and hate of the people around you. Just withholding things, that is also stealing. And you can easily do that. But if that were done, what you could amass over a year in damages that way, if that were done at one time, the thief would be hanged. But no, if you do it privately and build it up over time, people don't really care about that, it seems. Even though the same amount of damage is done. Paragraph 226. I say the same also about mechanics, workmen, and day laborers. They all follow their evil thoughts and never know enough ways to overcharge people while they are lazy and unfaithful in their work. All these are far worse than burglars, whom we can guard against with locks and bolts, and if caught, can be treated in such a way that they will not commit the crime again. But against unfaithful workers, no one can guard. No one even dares to give them an angry look or accuse them of theft. One would rather lose ten times as much money from his purse. For here are my neighbors, good friends, my own servants, from whom I expect every faithful and diligent service, yet they cheat me most of all. Again, we have it where, and we're in the midst of inflation being skyrocketing and hopefully sometime soon leveling off. But it's the same thing. We have this idea of what, va- what value money has, and now that just keeps getting cheapened and cheapened, and we just let it go. It's just, okay, now gas costs $4 instead of 2 when a lot of us remember when gas at a dollar a gallon was considered highway robbery. Now we get happy if it drops below four. It's, but again, that's just that perpetual stealing again, whether it's by the oil companies, by the government, by whatever, or this great thing called inflation. The stealing is there, and we just accept it as Luther talks about here, among the mechanics, the day laborers, the workmen, all those things that can charge basically whatever they want to charge. And, well, if it takes four hours to do a job that would normally take two, who's going to complain about it? Because ultimately they're your neighbors, your friends, and all that. We continue on. Furthermore, in the market and in common trade also, this practice is in full swing and force to the greatest extent. There one openly cheats another with bad merchandise, false measures, weights, and coins, and by nimbleness and strange finances, Proverbs 20.10. Or he takes advantage of him with clever tricks. Likewise, one overcharges another in a trade and greedily drives a hard bargain, skins and distresses him. Who can repeat or think of all these acts? To sum up, This is the most common trade and largest union on earth. If we consider the world through all conditions of life, it is nothing but a vast, wide sales booth full of great thieves. Again, we are all thieves. Therefore, some are also called swivel chair robbers, land and highway robbers, not 
picklocks, and burglars. For they snatch away easy money, but they sit on a chair at home, and they are styled great noblemen and honorable, pious citizens. They rob and steal in a way assumed to be good. Yes, here we might be silent about the petty individual thieves if we were to attack the great, powerful arch-thieves with whom lords and princes keep company. These thieves daily plunder not only a city or two, but all of Germany. Indeed, where should we place the head and supreme protector of all thieves? The holy chair at Rome, with all its train of attendants, which has grabbed by theft the wealth of all the world and holds it to this day. This is, in short, the way of the world. Whoever can steal and rob openly goes free and secure, unmolested by anyone, and even demands that he be honored. Meanwhile, the little burglars, who have once trespassed, must bear the shame and punishment to make the former thieves appear godly and honorable. But let such open thieves know that in God's sight they are the greatest thieves. He will punish them as they are worthy and deserve. In short, this is the way of the world. If you can get away with it in public, nobody cares. And we see that throughout all of society. And Luther points out the Pope and the chair at Rome, as he calls it here, with all the train of attendants. So not only just the Pope, but also the cardinals and the archbishops and all of those who have not only accumulated power in the church, but also have accumulated great wealth by taking over kingdoms. As we had numerous archbishops throughout what we now know as Germany also being great landowners and the masters of provinces, not only in the church, but also in the secular world. And this they demanded to be seen as their right, as necessity. And yet they got it all by robbery and thieving, but just in a more noble and dignified way. And we sometimes think, how can we consider a thief noble and dignified. Well, one of the most well-known thieves of all time, although fictional, was Robin Hood. He stole from the rich and gave to the poor. Yes, he had a moral code that he lived by with all of his merrymen, but down at the very bottom, he was just a thief, stealing from the sheriff of Nottingham and the king to give back to the people that it had been stolen from. And we we try to justify that because he was doing it for a righteous reason. But it's still theft. But again, that is the way of the world, isn't it? And he was praised for it because he did it openly. And people knew not to go through Sherwood Forest if they had that ill-gotten gain that they had gotten. But we continue on. Paragraph 232. Now, since this commandment is so far-reaching, as just indicated, it is necessary to teach it well and to explain it to the common people. Do not let them go on in their greed and security, but always place before their eyes God's wrath and instill the same. For we must preach this not to Christians, but chiefly to hoods and scoundrels. It would be more fitting for judges, jailers, and master Hans, the executioner, to preach to them. Therefore, let everyone know his duty at the risk of God's displeasure. He must do no harm to his neighbor, nor deprive him of profit, nor commit any act of unfaithfulness or hatred in any bargain or trade. 
but he must also faithfully preserve his property for him, secure and promote his advantage. This is especially true when one accepts money, wages, and one's livelihood for such service. Now the person who greedily despises this commandment may indeed pass by and escape the hangman, but he shall not escape God's wrath and punishment. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. When he has long practiced his defiance and arrogance, he shall still remain a tramp and beggar. In addition, he will, all, he will have all plagues and misfortune. Now you are going your own way, though you ought to preserve the property of your master and mistress. For your service you fill your throat and stomach, take your wages like a thief, and have people treat you like a nobleman. For there are many that, ev that are even rude towards their masters and mistresses, and are unwilling to do them a favor or service by which to protect them from loss. But consider what you will gain. When you have come into your own property and are set up in your home to which God will help with all misfortunes, your earlier misdeeds will bob up again and come home to you. You will find that where you have cheated or done injury at the value of one mite, you will have to pay thirty again. This will also be the result for craftsmen and day laborers. We are now obliged to hear and suffer such intolerable hatred from them as though they were noblemen in another's possessions and everyone is obliged to give them what they demand. Just let them continue making their demands as long as they can. God will not forget his commandment. He will reward them just as they have served. He will hang them not upon a green gallows, but upon a dry one. So all their life they shall neither prosper nor gain anything. Indeed, if there were, were a well-ordered government in the land, such greediness might soon be checked and prevented. That was the custom in ancient times among the Romans. There, such characters were promptly seized by the head in a way that caused others to take warning. No more shall all the rest prosper who change the open free market into a flesh pit of extortion and a den of robbery. Luke 19.46 Where the poor are daily overcharged and where new burdens and high prices are imposed. Everyone there uses the market according to his whim. He is even defiant and brags as though it were his fair privilege and right to sell his goods for as high a price as he pleases, and no one had a right to say a word against it. We will indeed look on and let these people skin, pinch, and hoard. But we will trust in God, who will do the following. After you have been skinning and scraping for a long time, he will pronounce such a blessing on your gains that your grain in the silo, your beer in the cellar, and your cattle in the stalls shall perish. Luke 12, 16-21 Yes, where you have cheated and overcharged anyone by e for even a florin, your entire pile of wealth shall be consumed with rust, so that you shall never enjoy it. Matthew 6.19, James 5, 1-3. This is kind of the issue we have with the capitalist free and open market, is that if anybody can charge whatever they want, then we can see that this is a bad thing. But again... As long as the pricing is fair, yes, you can charge whatever you would like. I mean, there are some things I can see, like on Etsy, that are all homemade. That It's like, that should be cheaper. I could probably get it cheaper from Lowe's or Walmart or Menards or some other place like that, or Amazon for that matter. But again, this is handcrafted. This is somebody else's diligent work. Now, do we look upon them charging extra because they put their blood, sweat, and tears into it? 
Or do we say, no, this is helping our neighbor out by giving them what they justly think is their right for their hand craftsmanship? It's all in the way you look at it. If we look at it in trying to help and preserve our neighbor's inheritance as the commandment requires of us, we don't mind paying the little bit extra because, after all, it is just worldly wealth and we can't take it with us. We should enjoy what God has blessed us with, and especially if we have gotten it in an honest way. All right, we pick up with paragraph 243. Indeed, we see and experience this being fulfilled daily before our eyes. No stolen or dishonestly acquired possession thrives. How many there are who rake and scrape day and night and yet grow not a farthing richer? Though they gather much, they must suffer so many plagues and misfortunes that they cannot enjoy it with cheerfulness nor leave it to their children. But since no one cares and we go on as though it did not concern us, God must visit us in a different way and teach us manners by imposing one taxation after another. Or he must build a troop of soldiers upon us. In one hour they empty our money boxes and purses and do not quit as long as we have a farthing left. In addition, by way of thanks, they burn and devastate house and home and they outrage and kill wife and children. In short, if you steal much, you can expect that much will be stolen from you. He who robs and gets by violence and wrong will submit to one who shall act the same way toward him. For God is master of this art. Since everyone robs and steals from one another, God punishes one thief by means of another. Or else where would we find enough gallows and ropes? This is one of Luther's great things throughout the commandments. But here especially, God punishes us for our sins, oftentimes by the same sin. So we have the fifth commandment and our hatred towards certain people. Well, we get repaid by having other people express their hatred towards us. Same thing with thieves, with reputation and so forth and so on through all the commandments is that what we do, very much like the golden rule, what we would have others do to us, that is what we do. But can inverse it a little bit and say what we have done, others will end up doing to us. Jesus is saying the exact same thing there on the negative side of the golden rule. And here in paragraph 245 in the large catechism, Luther points it out point blank. All right, let's finish up with paragraphs 246 to 253. Now, whoever is willing to be instructed, let him know that this is God's commandment. It must not be treated as a joke. For although you despise, defraud, steal, and rob us, we will indeed manage to endure your arrogance, suffer, and according to the Lord's Prayer, forgive and show pity, Matthew 6, 12. For we know that the godly shall nevertheless have enough, Psalm 37, 25. But you injure yourself more than another. Beware of this. The poor man will come to you. There are so many now. He must buy things with the penny of his daily wages and live upon it. When you are harsh to him, as though everyone lived by your favor, and you skin and scrape him to the bone, and when you turn him away with pride and arrogance to whom you ought to give things without payment, he will go away wretched and sorrowful. Since he can complain to no one else, he will cry and call to heaven. 
Psalm 20, verse 6, and then 146, 8 and 9. Then beware, I say again, as of the devil himself. For such groaning and calling will be no joke. It will have a weight that will prove too heavy for you and all the world. For it will reach him who takes care of the poor, sorrowful hearts. He will not allow them to go unavenged. Isaiah 61, 1-3 But if you despise this and become defiant, see the one you have brought upon you. If you succeed and prosper before all the world, you may call God and me a liar. We have exhorted, warned, and protested enough. He who will not listen to or believe this commandment may go on until he learns this by experience. Yet it must be impressed upon the young, Deuteronomy 6-7, so that they may be careful not to follow the old lawless crowd, but keep their eyes fixed upon God's commandment, lest his wrath and punishment come upon them too. It is necessary for us to do no more than to teach and to warn with God's word. But to check such open greediness, there is need for the princes in government. They themselves should take note and have the courage to establish and maintain order in all kinds of trade and commerce. They must do this lest the poor be burdened and oppressed and the leaders themselves be burdened with other people's sins. This is enough of an explanation of what stealing is. Let the commandment not be understood too narrowly, but let it apply to everything that has to do with our neighbors. Briefly, in summary, as in the former commandments, this is what is forbidden. A. To do our neighbor any injury or wrong in any conceivable manner by impeding, hindering, and withholding his possessions and property or even to consent or allow such injury. Instead, we should interfere and prevent it. B. It is commanded that we advance and improve his possessions. When they suffer lack, we should help, share, and lend both to friends and foes. Matthew 5.42 Whoever now seeks and desires good works will find here more than enough to do that are heartily acceptable and pleasing to God. In addition, they are favored and crowned with excellent blessings. So we are to be richly compensated for all that we do for our neighbor's good and from friendship. King Solomon also teaches this in Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Here then you have a rich Lord. He is certainly enough for you. He will not allow you to come up short in anything or to lack. Psalm 37.25 again. So you can, with a joyful conscience, enjoy a hundred times more than you could scrape together with unfaithfulness and wrong. Now, whoever does not desire this blessing will find enough wrath and misfortune. Luther here, it's the end, even though he doesn't place it in the text of the catechism, focuses on Jesus telling the disciples that all who leave everything behind and come and follow him, will gain 30, 60, or even 100-fold brothers and sisters and houses and land and animals and all of that. Everything you could possibly want and you strive for in this life, you can get much more by following the Lord. It's exactly what Luther is saying. If we look to the world and see how we can help our neighbor Help him not only to keep what possessions he has, but help to improve them and advance him. Then we can find uncountable blessings that are given to us. But again, if we try to scrape and skin down to the bone our neighbor, what little we get, we will have to pay much more with the wrath of God. And that is why the seventh commandment is so important. It's because it is so widespread, so 
glossed over that we think it's a good thing. But it is not. It is still a sin in God's eyes. A sin that we need to repent of and to pray for God's power and strength to be able to fulfill this commandment as we do in the Lord's Prayer, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, that's it for this week and the confessional corner. Thank you for standing here with me to continue going through the commandments, remembering the great blessings that God has for us for following them, but also the great wrath that comes upon us when we fail and refuse to repent. Until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for being here for Wrestling With Theology. I will see you again next time. Amen.